I'm addicted to the presence of God. Come on. Anybody in here addicted to the presence of God? Hallelujah. I think we become champions of an altar here, forgetting the fact that an, an altar was always right mobile as far as biblically concerned over history. And so I want to speak to you today, right, not just about the momentary altar, but the altar that God called you to be. When I look around and when I take inventory of the saints, there's one word that comes to mind. Sacrifice. That's the new S word, Pastor. Yeah, Yeah, we're those kind of preachers using preacher cuss words. We say the D word and we say the S word. Yeah, we go there. Amen. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 50, verse 1. When I'm looking out and I'm, I'm praying and I'm asking God, what is going on here? So much more than revival. We're infiltrating the enemy's camp. Yeah. We're seeing a holy revolution. Yeah. Psalm 50 in verse 1 reminds me of you. Amen. The mighty one, God, the Lord speaks and he summons the earth. From the rising of the sun to the place where it sits. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Our God comes and will not be silent. If he's not silent, should you be? A fire devours before him and around him a tempest rages. And he summons the heavens above and the earth that he might judge his people. Gather to me my consecrated ones who have made a covenant with me. By sacrifice. If there's a commonality among us is that we've tapped into the heavens and understand what it is to sacrifice. Or have we? Oh, we love Romans 12 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of uh, uh, brothers and sisters, in the view of God's mercy to present yourself, what a living sacrifice. Do we even grasp or understand that? When I'm when I'm praying about what could I share with my family this year, the Lord said, well, how about the verse that that has been spoken most among your body? Romans 12, 1. Present yourself. Right. Watch this. In the view of God's mercy. Come on, I like to say that he's been um, uh, that, that we are supposed to look in the rearview mirror of God's mercies in our life, knowing that he's already done enough for us to give our whole life to him. Amen. But what are we looking for? We obviously are always looking for what he can do for us. And in that is your problem because it's my problem. You see, saints, Romans 12, 1 is telling us to, to keep our eyes fixed upon the mercies of God. And in the mercy of God, he would fuel the fire for living sacrifice. When I look out and I understand my family's here and all that we've gone through over the years, there is one thing that I want to share with you this year. The vital necessity of mutual sacrificial love. I want you to get that because we love to be loved. And let's be honest, our love that we give back isn't quite as much. Right. But what's going on in this place right here? is mutual, sacrificial, 
authentic love. And many of you are here because you're frustrated with your churchianity and you've found Christianity and it is what it's always said to be. Mutual, sacrificial love. Can I get an amen? Amen. I believe that Jesus lived to teach me how to die, but I also believe that Jesus died to teach me how to live. This is what makes us who we are. This is what makes the one association who we are. You know why? No one church in the one association can survive without the other. The mutual sacrificial love that has that is in here is binding us together. This is what we're built on and we will not lose it in the name of Jesus. I believe our future and destinies are dependent upon our mutual sacrificial love for each other as churches. Do you wake up each morning and saying, what's going on in submission ministries? Man, it's burning in my heart. I have to go find Pastor Zeke, but I can't because he's in the woods and he's got a flip on it. It just doesn't work. And so I got to send him a telegram or something. But then he talks back to me and he hears from the Lord for me and reads my mail. And I'm like, Psh, uh, I'm undone. Yeah. Forget about it. The one association is, is bound by a three strand cord. I like to call it the baptism in the Holy Ghost. Lifestyle of local and global evangelism and historical orthodoxy of the word of God. We are bound to the altar by these things and we will not crawl off because we're bound to it by this three strand cord. Just sit in a creed. I've heard that once or twice. <laughs> no, this is a way of life. This is what we live. We live and, and bleed for each other. And you know it. And the guests that are here, you found the real thing. You should not look any longer. Whatever the cost, get in. Last week we were, we were, I don't want you to turn there, but we were looking through Luke 19 and we came to the passage about Zacchaeus, right? And, and we always talk about Zacchaeus, but what was going on here, right? Because the scripture in, in Luke 19 says that, that Jesus at the end, he says, I come to seek and save that which was lost. Often what we say in the ESV version, right? Or the, uh, eclectic, uh, sabotage version, right? Is, uh, is, is we say, <laughs> That, that was a massive statement. Sometimes it'll read, seek and save the lost. So we get confused. But if you understand what it's saying, it's saying, seek and save that which was lost. And Jesus came to the house of Zacchaeus, who a man who was in an affluent place in Jericho, a place that was rebuilt on the blood of somebody's sons on a faulty foundation. And he came to that man. And he said, you too are a son of Abraham. And I came to seek and save that which was lost. I believe that was our foundation. The foundation of Abraham. That foundation of mutual, sacrificial love. And he came to seek and save that. And I believe that's what's going on in here. I believe that God is seeking and saving that which was lost. The faith of Abraham. The way of life through your lives. And you're doing it, saints. We're winning. Look around. God summoned you here. Those who made a covenant with him. What? By sacrifice. And has called you to rebuild the foundation how it should be. First Corinthians 3 9 says, for we are co-workers in God's service. 
You are God's field and God's building. By the grace that God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder. And someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. Why? For no one can lay a foundation other than that which has already been laid. Apostle Paul knew what was going on. Something had already been laid for him. So what he was doing was simply demonstrating what was already presented to him. The pattern had been laid. Got your attention. Amen. After taking a broad inventory of the of the foundation of modern Christianity, we've come to the conclusion that we can no longer wait for a move of God. And like William Booth said, I'm not going to wait for a move of God. I am a move of God. And and most Christians are offended with that because it sounds brash. But no, that's confidence. Knowing that the foundation has already been laid and all I'm doing is replicating what I see. This is nothing about me. I am nothing. I'm a worm like Jacob in need of a revival and revolution in my life. And how does it come? By walking in the ways of the fathers that I have been having my eyes on. I believe the young people in here, and I'm going to call you 30 and under. I believe the young people in here, right, demonstrating a maturity at a young age. I believe that that, right, is a Holy Ghost tactical offensive attack on the kingdom of hell. Don't let anybody look down on you. Don't let anybody look down on you. And you're supposed to mature at a young age. And when those are coming against you because of those things, you say, I am a weapon of God. Nothing less. In this generation of Christianity that is perpetuating a bloodless cross and a sacrificialless faith, and a fellowship that caused me nothing, we must become the move of God. It's, nobody, it's not anybody else's responsibility. It is my responsibility. My cost. 1 Corinthians 2.1 says, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence of human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I was resolved to know nothing. Come on, did Paul know a few things? But he found out the one thing that he resolved to teach somebody. Which was with you. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ in him crucified. Christ in him crucified. What kind of life? A crucified life. What I'm seeing as I take a broad spectrum of Christianity is men who build fine facilities of gold and fine stones at the cost of this generation's sons and daughters. In a pursuit of fulfilling the promise of their goals and their ambitions and their dreams. All the while squandering the inheritance meant to be passed on like a torch to those standing right in front of them. Jesus demonstrated one way of life and that was a crucified life a crown received without a cross is just a paper crown that's going to burn up right when jesus shows up anyway isn't it yeah make sure you don't overlook the crowns standing in front of you we're standing in houston and i believe if you're going to live your best life now then it's going to be when you find yourself perpetually on the altar of God being consumed. That is your best life now. That's the best opportunity for you. 
We've been on Mission Denton for 18 months. Hallelujah. And we have been called radical because we believe that our homes are not our own. We have been called irresponsible because we prioritize kingdom over career. We have been called elitist because we wake up and don't expect to actually sin. We actually wake up and expect to win. We have been called extremists. Listen to what they say. You can love Jesus, but you don't have to love him like that and be all undignified. Oh, you want the manageable dose of the Holy Ghost. That's what you want, right? Because you have a spirit of moderation that's fallen upon you, right? And you miss the fact that it's a crucified life. Every time that I've attempted to live the crucified life, all it's done to me is become like a defibrillator to me, right? On my heart, on the coronal nature, right? And boom, 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 it wakes me up again. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm living <laughs> because King Jesus lives in me. He's alive and well. And he reminds me every morning that I'm a part of the covenant of newness and his joy is new every morning. I believe Without sacrifice, right? There's no resurrection, right? Yeah. This is the only way of life, right? That that raises the dead. I'm watching dead men walking, right? And then when they walk into the way of life, they're they're taken off guard. Like, does this does this even exist still? And we're like, what do you? This is just Christianity. It's not complicated. You see, I believe when when he's uh, uh, when John said in 316 or Jesus said in 316, uh, this says the Lord God so loved the world. Right. I'm sorry. I'm not a bumper sticker Christian, so I should be able to quote this one. <laughs> God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right. I believe that he was initiating a kind of of love that would raise the dead. And I believe when he spoke in Luke 22. Right. Father. Right. When I'm in the garden. Jesus is saying, I am willing. Take the cup from me. Yet not my will. Nevertheless, your will be done. I believe he was reciprocating that love. And for the and for the first time, the demonstration had never been so sweet of a mutual sacrificial love. It's the only thing that raises the dead. Do you want to raise the dead saints? Demonstrated by Jesus. It was so powerful. Pastor Zeke. And Brother Jake got me thinking about Malachi 4, 5. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming in the great dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the sons and the hearts of the sons to the fathers. Lest I come and strike a curse on the land. What if the curse is here and the only thing that breaks it is your way of life of raising up sons by mothering and fathering them in the faith? What if we must pick up? That mantle that was laid down instead of just look at it and watch it and wonder about it and admire it. I think that's what we see in here. I believe with all my heart what we're seeing is fathers spending their entire lives for nothing other than to raise up sons. Not just sons, but sons that will surpass them. We expect them to surpass us. This is the only way of life. It's the only way of life. I'm living it out and I'm watching it break the calloused heart of this generation. They don't trust fathers any longer. 
Because the fathers have abandoned them. They've abandoned them. Oh, oh, they're present. They just don't lay down their lives. Their self-ambition has become their cancer. Hmm. You know, as I'm praying and God is wrecking me in the, with, the, with the word, uh, I can find no better explanation of this than Genesis 22. So I want you to turn there. And in Genesis 22, 1 through 6, we're going to read. And in the Hebrew, this is called the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, which was funny to me because I thought this would be called the faith of Abraham or the test of Abraham. But for some reason, right, the sages called it the binding of Isaac. And they get that from the word spoken here when it says that Abraham bound his son. And you theologians in here can take that because that word, akad, right, that, that we get the word uh Akadah from was only spoken one time in all of scripture. I would say that was significant. I think what we're seeing here in the account of the binding of Isaac is Abraham lifting the knife. And then we get an 1800 years stay of execution as the father takes the knife out of his hand and then he plunges it into his son 1800 years later on your behalf so that you might know that he is a substitutionary offering for you so that you could be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to him because he wants you to know his will. Amen. Genesis 22, 1 through 6. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Oh, man, that was- I was firing me up last night. We were speaking here. I am. Then he said, take not, take now your son, your only son, whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering there on one of the mountains that I will show you. So Abraham rose. How? What did he do? Early in the morning. And he saddled the don- his donkey and he took two of his young men with him. Oh, Abraham was he was discipling. And Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the for the burnt offering and he arose and he went to the place of which God had told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and he saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his his young men, stay here with the donkey and the and the, the boy and I will go up and worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in hand. And he took a knife in hand. Oh, and I love this. And the two of them went together. (laughs) For the first time, oddly enough, in my life, I'm seeing the perspective of Isaac here. Many lift up Isaac at the cost or Abraham as at the cost of Isaac or lift up Isaac at the cost of Abraham. But that's not what the text does. That's not what the text does. Abraham gets the credit, but the sages emphasize Isaac as the binding because they knew that it was mutual. You see, if we're looking at a 20 to 30 year old man here, right? Not a little boy. This is a mutual sacrifice. Pastor Massey, how old are you? 30 30 years old. Do you think Pastor Massey has the discernment of the Lord? The Holy Spirit of the Lord. And if if he and I were walking up in the mountain and I said, hey, by the way, you're the sacrifice. He'd be like, oh, no. He would have a thought in the moment. 
he would understand. A full grown man understanding his part in the plan of God did not shrink back just like his father did not shrink back. The truth is Abraham does not. If Abraham does not fully obey, then he fails the test, right? And if Isaac does not willingly surrender, then they're not any chad. They're not together. If either of them, watch this, are disobedient to what God requires them, then God does not provide a substitutionary sacrifice and there's no resurrection of the dead. Mm. How important is mutual, sacrificial love? Oh, we love Abraham and we are admired and are inspired by the fathers in this room. Absolutely. We love Abraham because it's a man's faith that sparked a whole nation. In Genesis 12, he leaves everything. Say everything. In response to the voice of God. In Genesis 15, we see him chosen as being part of a covenant that is cut. In Genesis 14, we see that he has 318 being born for war in his house. How you doing, fathers? Hebrews 11, 8 says that he staked the, 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 the promise. He staked the claim in the promise, not by facts, but by faith. And in James 2, 23, it says Abraham believed God, right? It's credited to him as righteousness. And he got to be called a friend of God. Do you want to be called a friend of God, saints? Then you better start reproducing. Are we living the faith of Abraham or we just admire it? You see, in Genesis 22, Abraham was a man who woke early in the morning to immediately do what God called him to. I think he possibly even awoke early in the morning because he couldn't sleep because I wouldn't be able to. God, you called me to do this and I'm wrestling all night with it. And to be honest, I ain't got any sleep tonight. But by the time morning comes, I'm going to do what I always did. I'm going to obey you, Lord. There's no plan B. Abraham also took disciples with him to demonstrate to them what God had called them to do. There was no wiggle room in that LCM. There's no wiggle room in that. He didn't leave a, a way out for himself. If I don't take them with him uh, with me, then I could probably, you know, maybe get out of it on the way up. To Moriah. Abraham did not waver between two opinions when God asked him to place the wood on the back of his only son that he so passionately loved. It wasn't until Abraham raised up his hand with an object of affliction that God said, now I know. Now I know I can tell my gospel through you. When future Emperor Titus returned to Rome in 70 A.D. with only a portion of his 10th legion after laying waste to Jerusalem, he was asked if he was defeated because they didn't know where his army was. And he answered him, no, no, but that I had left the majority of my army to watch over the dead bodies because it was he was sincerely afraid that they would be resurrected, reconquer the Holy Land as they had promised. That's the faith of Abraham. That's men who got it. They got grit. The faith of Abraham instills fear in your enemies, even when they're looking over your dead body, because that's not the end of the story. Amen. Come on. Is there any fathers in the room? 
First Corinthians 4.15 says, For though you might have 10,000 guardians or instructors in Christ, yet you don't have many fathers. Yeah, that's, that, that is our generation saints. But in this room, there are many fathers. You see, even with the, the, the admiration that we have for Abraham and the love that we have for the way that the man demonstrated his obedient love back to the father, the greatest thing that, ever, ever, that Abraham ever did was win the heart of his son. He won the willing heart of Isaac. And we know without Abraham, there are no Isaacs. Amen. Yeah. You see, Abraham carried the mandate to fully obey the spoken word given to him by the father. Right. But it was Isaac that carried the mandate to willingly obey the vision that he saw through Abraham. It was modeled to him. And now he's responsible for it. If either of these men fail to pay the full price for each other. For each other, the vision of mutuality is aborted. Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness, but Isaac believed his father and credited to him as new life. Come on, saints, is somebody being disciple in here and you're struggling, right, with some new life and you don't know why? I'm going to say, well, then obey the one who's discipling you. It's pretty simple. I think the reason that some of you are still awaiting the promise is because it's mutually inclusive. It cannot be, it cannot happen apart from another. Oh, some husband and wives just thought about a few things. I'm waiting for her promise and it's like, no, you die, she'll live. Yeah, move on. We have many fathers among us who have set out with fire in hand and knife in hand. Amen. But if we fail to build a way of life for our sons that they would stand on it, then we'll never ignite the willing heart of Isaac to carry the work given to us. Why? Because if God given you a work and you don't pass it on to the sons, then the work ends with you. And that's just sad. And we don't operate in the pathetic. We operate in the prophetic. But if we're willing to display the faith of Abraham and if we're willing to require our sons to carry the wood, then we'll see the promise. Amen. Amen. I think we'll find the Isaacs in this generation that say, here I am. And that's what I'm after this morning. Genesis 22, six said what? So Abraham took the wood and the burnt offering and he laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in hand and the knife. And the two of them went together. Look at verse seven. But Isaac spoke to his Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, son. And then he said, look, the fire in the wood. But where is the lamb of the burnt offering? And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. And the second time it says, so they went together. Do you feel the pause in the scripture? Men have developed gap theories over smaller pauses in Genesis 1-1 than this one right here. In that moment, we think, oh, we're walking along. Hey, so by the way, you're the offering. Let's keep on going. No, at the moment, he had to say, what's going on? We got a father. What kind of relationship is that? That is so cultivated that the son would say, oh, that's me. (laughs) Hallelujah. Here I am. And then he bounds his son. Mm. 
if your faith fails to inspire the next generation to surpass you, then it's not the faith of Abraham. Do we got the point? Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. And that is the mutual sacrificial love. Do you know that Isaiah 119 says, for if the if you're willing and you're obedient, you will eat the good of the land. You see, I've learned that as a parent because I can make my uh, my family obedient to me, but I can't make them willing. That has to come from them. And that's what you see. You see an obedient Abraham. But on the other side, you see a willing Isaac because the father has rightly demonstrated something beautiful for him. And he is willing to say, here I am. Bind me to the altar. I see the way you live, Lord. Bind me to the altar. Don't let it be somebody else. Let it be me. God, I hear me this morning. I'm living and watching men spend their entire lives and their entire inheritance on themselves to build a platform for Jesus. I'm watching men who are called to be generals in the kingdom, settle for CEO positions, building phenomenal portfolios that'll burn away at the sight of Jesus. I'm watching parents raise 4.0 students who cannot hear from God. And they call that successful parenting. I am watching sons and daughters of God defect and sell out for worldly gain and purposeless lives at a nauseating rate because they have many mentors, but they don't have many fathers. If somebody says mentor to me one time, I'm going to throw up one more time. (laughs) They are not fathers, nor mothers in the faith. We need men like Abraham that will live such obedient lives that they will win the hearts of Isaac. Are there any fathers in the room today? Are you really, really willing to crucify the kingdom that you built and lay it at the sun, at the feet of your sons? That's the faith of Abraham. Fathers and mothers, look at your sons or daughters and tell them, I'm willing to die for you. I think they mean that. Amen. Listen, we're talking about the faith of Abraham, but today I'm not after Abraham. I'm after the Isaacs. I'm after the sons and daughters in this room. We are watching a generation come up that are willing and obedient at a young age while older people are watching them and admiring them, but sitting back and sitting on their sacrifice and never lighting it. Mm. Genesis 22, 8, but they went together. When fathers in the faith lay down the platforms that they have built at the feet of their sons, then we're seeing the faith of Abraham. And I believe that this ignites the hearts of the sons to cry out. They'll cry out, Father, bind me to the altar that I might see a sacrificialist generation rise from the dead. Father, I've seen your sacrifice and I've seen your tired eyes and I've seen your body afflicted for the gospel. But I don't want you to do it alone any longer. Bind me to the altar so that I might partner together with you. Pass the mic. Pass the torch. Bind me to the altar. We admire the fate of those who've gone before us. Amen. But are we willing to pay? The sacrificial price. 
the gut-wrenching sacrifices? Are we going to be Acts 2 saints that thought that fine houses made beautiful sacrifices to give away? That thought that the finest of careers and the, mo- and the best affluent ministries with endless resources were what makes the hottest of fires for God? We love to stay close to men like this, don't we? Because we think living sacrifice is by proximity. But there's never been a living sacrifice. There's never been a sacrifice burned up and let it on the altar itself. You can't get singed and call yourself holy. We are not men who admire the fire and despise the knife. Galatians 4.28. Now you, brothers and sisters, watch this. Like Isaac, our children of promise. If you were looking for something shot, something plain, something clear, you don't need to pray about that. It's already written. What does that say? This thing didn't originate with you. You're simply demonstrating that which has been modeled for you. We know that if we could, if we would cry out, bind me to the altar, that God would provide resurrection power. Amen. And we would see The dead raised in our generation. Do we want that, saints? Are there any full-priced females in here? Are there any metal-tested men in here? Are there any Isaacs in the house this morning? Sold-out saints that'll cry, bind me to the altar. Are you going to let somebody else bear your cross, carry your sacrifice, and receive your crown? No. No. Pastor Eric has carried a mighty load for me. Pastor Matthew has carried a phenomenal load for me, like no others. But he is, they have also allowed me to carry the proper load that I need to carry for myself. They inspired me with the fire, afflicted me with the knife. Oh, I've despised the knife a lot and always admire the fire. But at this point in my life, I understand it. And I love them for it. They've led me up to Moriah. And I've been the one that's asked for a double portion. I'm receiving it. And that's why I'm preaching about a living sacrifice. You young disciples are funny to me. Because y'all pray the same things I pray. And I'm like, I thought I knew what I was praying then. I still don't know what I'm praying. Hmm. Yeah. (laughs) come on somebody say bind me to the altar don't you know that admiration is meant to provoke me to action the admiration that you have for those who have gone before you are supposed to uh, ignite a fire in you to do what they do and do it better if Abraham's obedience does not Inspire willingness to exceed his sacrifice or Isaac resist the honor to take the torch. Then there can be no resurrection provision and this generation remains dead in its sin. Are you going to let that happen, saints? If the goal is simply for obedience in the individual, then God's plan ceases with this generation. But if God's goal is that Isaac says, bind me to the altar. Not someone else. Me to the altar. Then what you see is Abraham's obedience has outlived him right before his eyes. Surpassing him. Exactly what he was after. 
You see, uh, an obscure scripture is Psalm 118.27, and it says, God is Lord, and He has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the altar. I love this because David's writing this, and I believe that he's watching a procession of the sacrifices in the festival, right? And at some point he says, I'm tired of being a, a spectator. I want to be a participator, and not just to bring the offering, but to be the altar. To be the offering on the altar. Bind me to the horns of the altar. Come on, do you want to be that close, saints? Do you want to be bound to the will of God? Do you want to be consumed by the fire of God? (laughs) Just like Isaac who questions his father on his way up to Mount Moriah, and just like Jesus in the garden on his way to the cross, every man must ask himself, whose son am I? You see, in Genesis 25, 5, it says that Abraham, watch this, left everything to his son. And in Colossians 2.10, it says that Jesus left everything to you. So what's your excuse? You see, Romans 12.1 says, starts this way. I urge you, I urge you, in the view of God's mercy, what he's done for you, present yourself a living sacrifice. This pleases the Father. Pass me the torch is what it's saying. Would you allow me to participate in the sacrifice that I might be the offering? Come on, are you ready for that, saints? I think this is, this is a call of repentance to mutual sacrificial love. And if we will repent and start to walk in mutual sacrificial love, it will break the backbone of a crossless Christianity. Jesus was a dying sacrifice once and for all so that you were called to be a living sacrifice over and over and over and over again. When? When do you stop? When the nations are his inheritance. Fathers living for sons and sons living for fathers together accomplishing the will of God. Amen. My wife told me this last year. It's my next T-shirt. She said, you didn't come to Denton, Texas to make friends. You came to make sons. Quit whining. Come on. That's that's word from heaven right there. It's not my next T-shirt. It's my next adult bib. And I'm going to hand them out to anybody else here that thinks that's proper. (laughs) You see, the one association leadership lives to do one thing. Produce sons. Not friends. Men whose hearts cry out, bind me to the altar. I believe we're watching the Spirit of God raise a generation of Isaacs from the dead. Sons and daughters who will die daily as they live only for the glory of God. Amen. Men and women who joyfully receive the weight of the wood on their backs. Who are fully aware of their part in the plan of God. Who will never let another bear their cross or steal their crown. Come on, saints. Don't let another bear your cross and steal your crown. It's yours to carry. We look to, their, we look to our fathers in the faith and we, and we say, where's the cords? Where's the cords? Bind me to the altar. Allow me to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Right? Because the goal of Christianity is not to die and go to heaven, but to live and give God glory. Amen. Come on, you're going to let God squeeze you a little? Get a little glory out of you? He's not looking for what you've already given. He's looking for what you have not yet given. 
And I said in, in one association, we're bound by a three-chord strand, right? You know why? Because it, it keeps us from squirming off the altar, like Brother Jake said. Oh, that's possible. Some of you have watched it. If you're being discipled well, you'll see your fathers try to do it at times, right? But the Word of God binds them, right? We are bound by the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Do you try to call off the altar when we bind you to the baptism in the Holy Spirit? Do you try to call off the altar when we require you to be nothing less than filled with the Holy Spirit? What about when we bind you to the lifestyle of local and global evangelism? Do you want to squirm out of your commitments when, you, when we remind you that your, your time and money is not your own, but it's to reach the nations? Beginning with discipling nominal Christians and the lost. Do you try to squirm on the, off the altar when we bind you to the historical Christian Orthodox word? When we tell you exactly what the word says about you? Yeah, you see, saying bind me to the altar is looking at your father's way of life and crying out to him and crying out, God, break the entitlement that anything other than than the demonstration of the faith of Abraham is owed to me. Bind me to the altar, allow me to be a living sacrifice. You see, Isaac was a son of a great father, was he not? Isaac was the son of a great father. But Isaac was also the father of a great son. Herein lies our problem. Are you inspired when we read Genesis 22? Are you inspired when you read Romans 12 and it says to be a living sacrifice, right? That's, that's the problem. The whole time I've been preaching, you've been thinking about you. You see, this was what Abraham got. <laughs> it was never about him. He, he was so obedient and focused because his life was already gone and dead. Right? So much his, his faith was in the resurrection. It was never about him. It was about those who could come after him. Yeah. You're inspired by this message today because you thought I was talking about you in general, what you could give up and what you could give more of. Anybody ever live in 1972? Not me. But I heard a song for Carly Simon that said, you're so vain. I bet you think this song is about you. And I think that's our problem. We're reading the scripture and we think he's talking about you but what does john uh jesus say in john 17 19 (laughs) for them for them i sanctify myself that they too might be truly sanctified you're not capable of carrying the faith of abraham or the faith of your fathers if you think this life is about you Come on, we get in the grip. Come on, there were many at the altar not too long ago. But you were standing and admiring that. And you should have been there yourself. Mm. Stand with me. Worship team, you can come up.
John 17, 19 says, For them I sanctify myself. For who? For who? That they too may be truly sanctified. God's not just after you. He's after your prodigy. And I use that word for a reason. Because when you display the faith of Abraham, when you live mutually, sacrificially in love with God's people, what comes from you is prodigy, exceptional, impressive fruit. It's going to look better than you. They're going to worship harder than you. They're going to give more of their life than you. That's, that's what we're after, saints. Come on. Mm. Those who will come after you, why? Because of you. You see, in this room is a mutual, sacrificial love. And in this room are Isaacs. Those who are right there in that moment, right there in that pause on the way up to Moriah. And their father looks at them. And he says, I've been, right, in this relationship, we've been following each other the whole time. (laughs) And all of a sudden, you feel the weight of the responsibility, and you say, I see what you're doing that's supposed to be happening in my life. And he says, well, will you you pay the cross? And he'll say, because of the love that you had for me, how could I not bind me to the altar? I want to become one with the altar. Is he not the... God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Yeah. Without Abraham, we could have no Isaacs. But without Isaac, there could be no Jacob. And are we after the nation saints? Are we after the nation saints? Then today I came asking God for a greater measure of a responsibility. Will you ask that of the the Lord? Come on, don't be afraid. The mutual sacrificial foundation has been laid for you, demonstrated for you. You have no excuses. You are the Isaacs in this room. You should be on this altar already. In Revelation 16, 7, it says the altar cried out. I love that. You know why? Because I want to be on an altar that has a voice. I want to be on an altar that has a voice. I want to be on the altar of heaven crying out, Save them now, Lord. Bind me to the altar for their sake. Sanctify me so that they might be truly sanctified. John 17, 4 says that I have brought you glory on the earth. How? By finishing the work that you gave me to do. What is he saying? I want to finish the work that my father started. Has your fathers, has those who've gone before you started a work and you're waiting for them to finish it? Maybe it's you that's supposed to complete it. At the end of the day, in Genesis 22, what is Abraham laying? He's laying an altar. He's laying an altar. And where is Isaac? He's standing on the altar, finishing the work that Abraham started. Come on, is there any Isaacs in the room? Is there any in here that would say, bind me to the altar? 
understanding fully what you're asking for. Mighty God, we say here I am because that's what our fathers have said. Here I am. Here I am. This is the word of the Lord to you. It'll cost you everything. It always does. And when you've given everything, it'll cost you more. Do you want that, saints? Then listen to the cries of an altar. This is what an altar sounds like. It sounds like a hearts that are, st- are interceding for those who are not here yet. You have something they don't have. You have been sanctified because of others. It was freely given to you. So freely give. But you have to give that which was given to you. And that is a mutual sacrificial love. This is what the altar sounds like. It's not cheerleading. And it's not anything other than a heart cry of repentance for those who aren't here yet. Cry out. Cry out in the Spirit. If you've never been baptized in the Spirit, right now.